Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. February 2001, Naomi Campbell woke to find that her private battle with drugs and alcohol had been turned into front-page news by the British tabloids. Could she have ignored it? Probably. But instead, Naomi decided to fight. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, Michelle Andrews. We are back for part two of our two-part series on Naomi Campbell. We are. We have... So much to cover today. I know that we covered a lot in episode one, but I was just flicking through the notes we have for episode two and it is a jam-packed one. Yeah. We sort of started by talking about how Naomi Campbell even got into modelling. She was spotted by a modelling scout, which was very of that time Mm. as she was just hanging around after school in her school uniform. She shot to fame almost immediately within months. She was being flown to Paris and working from there. She was starring on the cover of Elle at 16. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't always easy for Naomi, though. She faced pretty intense racism throughout the early years of her career. And later on, as we'll touch on in this episode, she once said, from an early age, I understood what it meant to be black. You had to put in extra effort. You had to be twice as good. And good she was. In her early 20s, she became one of the most famous models in the world at a time when supermodels were the kind of celebrity Mm. mish. However, she was also gaining a reputation for being a bit of a quote-unquote diva who also allegedly had a violent streak. In the late 90s, for example, her former assistant sued her, claiming that Naomi had damaged her clothes, repeatedly lunged at her, verbally abused her and threatened to eject her from a car onto a busy highway. So... Certainly a complicated narrative. Yeah, a lot of layers going on. Throughout the 90s, we also learned that Naomi Campbell was locked in quite the public feud with Tyra Banks. Now, this is a complicated rivalry. We do know that these two weren't each other's biggest fans, but we also know that the media certainly helped pit them against each other. The New York Times once dubbed Tyra Banks the next Naomi in a headline. We left that feud in the mid-90s where they definitely weren't friendly, but they were also really carving out space in different fashion spheres. Naomi is very much a high-end fashion model. Tyra Banks was more commercial 
in this episode, we're going to touch back in with where that's at. <laughs> yeah, we are. And then on February 1, though, 2001, Naomi Campbell woke up to a headline that read, I am a drug addict. It is February 1 then that we are rewinding to. A very quick heads up as well just before we do that. This episode will contain racist language and stories about drug abuse, so may be triggering for some listeners. All right, Zara, in the last episode, we told the listeners that on Feb 1, 2001, British tabloid The Daily Mirror ran a front page story with the headline, Naomi, I am a drug addict. Yeah, it was accompanied by a heavily zoomed in paparazzi photograph or multiple photographs, I should say, of Naomi dressed casually as she was leaving a rehabilitation clinic. The story read, supermodel Naomi Campbell is attending Narcotics Anonymous meetings in a courageous bid to beat her addiction to drink and drugs. Mm, You might be wondering who the hell would publish this stuff or see it as being in the public interest. Well, the editor of the Daily Mirror, the man who made the decision to run this story is probably a familiar name to you guys. It is Pierce Morgan. Now, you might know about Pierce in connection to Meghan Markle. He certainly attached himself to the Duchess of Sussex a million times over the last few years, but he's also well known, Zara, for his long-standing role on Good Morning Britain. Yeah. So who was Piers Morgan back when all of this happened 22 years ago? Well, Piers actually began his career in journalism at The Sun in 1988 before being appointed editor of News of the World in 1994 by none other than Rupert Murdoch himself. In the early years of his career, he very quickly became known for two things, making pretty controversial editorial decisions, such was the nature of the British tabloids as well, and being pretty successful in the industry. Now, one example of Piers' questionable editorial decisions occurred in 1995, just to give you some kind of added context. The then 30-year-old Piers Morgan decided to run a story about the former countess, Catherine Victoria Aiken, who attended a treatment clinic for an eating disorder and for alcoholism. The story ran with the headline, Die's sister-in-law in booze and bulimia clinic. The story also included photographs of the former countess outside the treatment clinic. Yeah, Pierce faced significant backlash for that story, including a public grilling from Rupert Murdoch in which the media mogul said the young man went over the top. After that intense criticism, Pierce actually moved on from News of the World into the editor gig at the Daily Mirror. So suffice to say, these kinds of salacious controversial invasive invasive stories were absolutely Piers Morgan's bread and butter from day one of his career and in a way he was being rewarded for those editorial decisions like going from news of the world to the top gig at the Daily Mirror isn't exactly a punishment from Rupert Murdoch no not at all I wonder if they would have said at this point all those years ago that cancel culture isn't real because that's how it feels. So this kind of brings us to Feb 1 at 2001 when the Daily Mirror ran that front page story of Naomi Campbell. Now, of course, Naomi Campbell literally never told the paper she was a drug addict, nor has she told anyone else that either. At the time, Naomi said she was shocked, angry, betrayed and violated by the story. Her lawyer, Andrew Caldicott, added that Naomi attending Narcotics Anonymous meetings was clearly, and I quote, a private activity deserving of privacy. Mm. I just want to pause here for a second because I find it quite outlandish that 
someone like Piers Morgan was publicly reprimanded by someone as powerful as Rupert Murdoch for doing the same kind of story years earlier. But perhaps because years earlier it was, you know, someone connected to the royal family and someone who was white. Yes. That's why it wasn't okay. Suddenly we do it to one of the most successful models in history and it doesn't quite receive the same amount of fanfare. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that because there's definitely something gross going on there, I think. On the same day the article was published, Naomi filed a lawsuit against the Daily Mirror claiming a breach of confidentiality. In response to that lawsuit, the Daily Mirror retaliated. They decided to run a series of vicious articles disparaging Naomi Campbell. In the following day, so the days after she filed this lawsuit, The publication ran an article with the headline, Pathetic. The opening line of that article was, After years of self-publicity and illegal drug abuse, Naomi Campbell whinges about privacy. They then ran another article with the headline, Fame on You, Miss Campbell, which included the sentence, As a campaigner, Naomi's about as effective as a chocolate soldier. So they didn't just dig their heels in. They got... So disgusting. They like triple down. Yeah, they got incredibly racist and incredibly gross. There is no doubt, though, that this court case was groundbreaking. This was a pretty unprecedented move, particularly in the UK, Mish, where tabloids held a lot of power at the time. The case was highly covered in the media and was a massive talking point in the public sphere. I guess the crux of the whole thing was what does the public deserve to know and what is Naomi or what was she entitled to keep private? Yeah, the irony, of course, was that in order to prove what she was entitled to, what she was allowed to keep private, Naomi had to reveal some pretty intimate details about her drug and alcohol use over the years. You can't sue the Daily Mirror and protect your privacy at the same time. She really chose to sacrifice her personal privacy to fight this. Yeah, to fight for privacy. Mm. I mean, it would be a tough thing to get your head around, but I guess that is in many ways fighting the good fight. For example, when Naomi was interviewed on the stand by a legal rep for the Daily Mirror, she was asked about a previous television interview with journalist Barbara Walters in which she denied taking drugs. The legal representative said, I suggest you are seeking to give the public the impression that your notorious tantrums were the result of having problems with anger management when in fact it was anger management aggravated by drug abuse. Naomi responded to that by saying, I didn't feel confident enough to say on television that I had a drug addiction and was being treated for it. Yeah, that legal rep also questioned Naomi on the Canary Islands overdose that we told you a little bit about in episode one. Now, a bit of a refresher, that incident was in 1997. Naomi was holidaying with her then partner. She was hospitalized. The media, particularly Spanish media, said it was a barbiturates overdose. Naomi's team came out, denied that report and said it was an allergic reaction to antibiotics. Now, this did come up in court and this was the interaction. The legal rep said, you said you had suffered an allergic reaction to penicillin. Naomi said, that was true. The legal rep, you said in that interview, I never take stimulants or tranquilizers. That was untrue, wasn't it? To which Naomi said, that was untrue. Naomi also reportedly told the court that a series of vindictive Mirror articles about her that were published after she lodged the lawsuit were distressing. I mean, we touched on some of them before, Mish. Mm. One of them, of course, she referred to was the one that called her a chocolate soldier, which, and I quote, I think is racist, she said. She went on and said, I broke down in tears. I did not believe newspapers could be so offensive. 
To add to the difficulty of testifying so publicly, she also had to contend with the fact that the Daily Mirror were incessant and dogged in their determination to ruin her reputation. They didn't want to just double down after she announced that, you know, she was suing them with articles. As the lawsuit was going on, they were continuously and incessantly reporting on her in a pretty horrendous way. Yeah, it's like every angle they could come at her from, they would take. They didn't want to just position her as a drug addict. They wanted to position her as as being completely mentally unhinged. For example, in 2002, they published the headline, Naomi Campbell, I Was Raped, Her Latest Extraordinary Bleat. Now, this piece was referring to an interview that Naomi did with a journalist where she was describing the mental impact that the Daily Mirror article had upon her. The conversation went like this. How damaging was it for you, given the condition you were in at the time? To which Naomi said, it was very damaging because if I felt strong enough to come out and say, this is what I'm doing, I would have done so. The journalist then said, some people would say that it wasn't worth having all of your past raked over in a court case. To which Naomi said, I wouldn't wish this on anyone because I felt raped. Then I felt like if I can't take care of this problem, then I can't get better myself. And that's the main point. The journalist said, so seeing yourself in that photograph, you felt raped, to which Naomi said, yes, I did. And that's what the Daily Mirror took and put on their front page, you know, robbing it of all its context. Stripping it of context and making it sound, I mean, they're just trying to position her as someone who is completely irrational, which is so unfair. When you hear that in context, it does make sense that someone stripping you of your agency and stripping you of yourself in a certain way, your image, could feel like something akin to rape. Yeah, in other written evidence Naomi provided to the court, she also spoke of how paranoid she became after the article was published, after she became pretty confident that someone close to her had betrayed her confidence and told the Daily Mirror that she was attending the Narcotics Anonymous meetings. She said, I was panicking and worried. I did not want to leave the house any longer. I began to think Narcotics Anonymous was not worthwhile and I questioned what was the point in trying to fight the addiction if that was the reaction. I felt just Judged and branded, I felt myself beginning to shut down and withdraw. Mm, Reaching a final verdict in this case was an incredibly convoluted process. In 2002, Naomi originally won the case and the Daily Mirror was ordered to pay £3,500 in damages. Now, that is an astonishingly low fee for mine. Like £3,500 given the scope of this case. When the verdict was delivered, the Daily Mirror ran another piece. They ran an opinion piece with the headline, Naomi Campbell, utter farce, baffling, puzzling, amazing and confusing. The expert's verdict on Campbell judgment. They then ran another article with the headline, Judge gives lying drug abuser £3,500. But shh, don't tell anyone. You know how Naomi likes to keep these things private. In the Court of Appeals in March 2002, the Daily Mirror had the case successfully overturned, ruling that, and I quote, the story and accompanying photographs were a legitimate, if not a central part of the journalistic package designed to demonstrate that Miss Campbell had been deceiving the public when she said she did not take drugs. In May 2004, the case was escalated to the Law Lords, which were a group of judges eventually replaced by the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom in 2009 quite like the name the law lords. The law lords. L- L- I can't even say it. The law lords. <laughs> I prefer it to the Supreme Court. Anyway, I don't like it. I the quite law like it. lords. It's, I mean, I don't think 
judges that important need to be called lords. Like their egos <laughs> don't need it, but I quite like it. Anyway, the law lords ruled in favour of Naomi Campbell reinstating the original verdict, which meant after all that back and forth, she had eventually won and the whole thing had gone on for well over three years. Yeah. Editor Pierce Morgan had quite the dramatic response to this result. He said at the time that it was, and I quote, a very good day for lying, drug-abusing prima donnas who want to have their cake with the media and the right to shamelessly guzzle it with their crystal champagne. God, he is a... Yeah, I know. I just, He's always been I like this use. as well. Oh. Yeah. In a statement, Naomi's lawyer, Keith Schilling, said that she was delighted by the ruling. He said, it is not only a vindication for her personally, but more importantly, represents a real advantage for the rights of people to maintain important elements of their privacy, particularly when related to therapy and people who need to have treatment feels like such an obvious judgment like of course people should be afforded the right to privacy with very sensitive things but the fact that we have to fight for these things just blows my mind the fact it was overturned in the first place like that is wild baffling but it says so much about how we feel like we own public figures yeah our ownership over their lives and the gritty little details within them that if they give us an inch we get the mile is how it feels Anyway, that is where the Mirette case ended, but we've got so much more to talk about for the remaining of Naomi Campbell's career, so we're going to talk about that after the break. All right, Zara, after her privacy case was settled, Naomi became much more candid publicly about her experiences with addiction in the media. In an interview with Oprah, Naomi said that her drug abuse actually became a problem in 1997. She was actually using substances to deal with the grief of losing loved ones. The quote went, that year, so many friends passed away in different circumstances. I felt like I couldn't keep up with the grief, so I just started replacing it with drugs. We know that Naomi was very close with Gianni Versace, who was murdered at the age of 50 in 97. Shortly after his death, she gave a pretty tearful interview to NBC News, during which she said, I felt like he treated me as a woman with a lot of respect, and that is why he became such a good friend. He always said in the papers that I was part of his family, and he has always been there for me. Mm, Reflecting on her relationship with Gianni years later, Naomi said he called her his sister and would constantly give her up to 10 outfits to wear on the runway while the other models would get three. She said, a few weeks before he died, he wanted to take me to the Louvre to educate me about beauty. He taught me so much. In that Oprah interview, we also learned that after collapsing at a photo shoot in 1999, she entered rehab for the first time. For two years, she was able to quietly recover while continuing to work until, of course, the Daily Mirror published that story in 2001. Now, what fewer media outlets reported on in the early noughties, though, was Naomi Campbell's other lawsuit. This one was against a former personal assistant named Vanessa Frisbee. Yeah, it turns out that around the same time the Mirror was digging into Naomi's relationship with drugs and alcohol, Vanessa Frisbee was trying to sell the details of her life to another British tabloid, the now-defunct News of the World newspaper. The story that Vanessa successfully sold for a reported £25,000 in the year 2000 pertain to Naomi's alleged sexual affair with Joseph Fiennes. Now, if Fiennes sounds familiar, yes, Joseph is the brother 
of Rafe, who we've also spoken about in Scandal. Now, the rumor was that Naomi and Joseph had an affair when Naomi was engaged to her F1 businessman fiancé, Flavio Buratore. Yeah, according to the News of the World article, Naomi had allegedly assaulted Vanessa when she failed to adequately cover up the scandal in the press. Now, according to the article, this led to a breakdown in their working relationship. As a quick and random aside, according to The Guardian, Max Clifford, no stranger to a scandal episode. <laughs> How many is he popped up in now? Has to be his fourth or fifth. Truly brokered that deal between Vanessa Frisbee and News of the World. Mm. So where did the case end up? Well, to leave a timeline for a little bit, but just so we can kind of wrap this narrative before we yes. move on. Naomi and Vanessa found themselves fighting it out for a decade. Wow. After a series of appeals and delays, Naomi dropped the case in late 2009. <sighs> According to reporting from Women's Wear Daily, officials at London's High Court ordered Campbell to pay 90% of Frisbee's legal costs after she abandoned the case, in addition to the costs she had to pay for her own legal team. All Up Huffington Post reported that she would have to have paid about $482,000 for her legal team alone just to have the case tossed out. Yeah, it's a pretty insane amount of money, but also time and energy to fight this. Like, Naomi apparently walked away after almost 10 years of trying to fight Vanessa Frisbee in court because, as her team said, she had legislation exhaustion. I mean, you probably would, because keep in mind this was happening at the same time originally as her other case against the Daily Mirror. This went twice as long. I know, truly. Three times as long. It's so... I'm exhausted and I've just read about it. 1,000%. Now, amidst all these legal headaches, the mid-noughties saw Naomi put her high-profile feud with Tyra Banks to rest. Well, sort of. (laughs) Kind of. In 2005, Tyra Banks invited Naomi Campbell onto her talk show, The Tyra Show, what a flashback, to settle their feud once and for all. Now, do you remember this show? Did no, you watch I, the Tyra show? No, I didn't. I think it might have been a Fox Time Kids I thing. I think it was, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah, and I think as well when Tyra got this gig in talk show television, again, she was pitted against another high-profile woman of colour. When Tyra got the Tyra show, the Chicago Tribune labelled her the next Oprah. There was literally an article titled Tyra Banks v. Oprah Winfrey. Like, it, the media just does this to minorities where it's like there can only be one. We need to choose one yeah. in each field. For sure. Who are you backing in? Yeah. You can't back in both, apparently. Now, in a really special interview between these two models that played out in front of an empty studio, <laughs> adding to the sense of drama, Tyra and Naomi just sat and talked. While watching, though, you kind of get the impression that this kind of frank conversation had never happened between (laughs) these two women. Yeah. Introducing the interview, Tyra said soberly, today is about telling the truth. It's about being honest because without honesty, there's no way you can heal. And today is a healing day for me. And I hope that it's a healing day for Naomi, too. This interview is extremely interesting because it goes to show... Just how different, profoundly different these two women really are. Naomi comes across as very manicured. She's very composed, poised, maybe a little chilly throughout the chat. Whereas Tyra is emotional, vulnerable, sensitive, passionate. Completely. Yeah. You've kind of got Naomi trying to be too cool and Tyra never really worrying about that. 
Tyra opened the chat by listing some incidents that she remembered when Naomi was mean to her. And according to Tyra, Naomi called her a bitch during a show in the early 90s. Naomi, who kind of smiled pleasantly in response to that, said, (laughs) yeah, I probably did say that and then kind of apologised to Tyra. And it almost feels like as you're watching, Tyra wasn't expecting Naomi to own up so fast. Now, Tyra continued to bring up instances where she felt like Naomi had been cruel to her. Naomi kind of owned up to some things but completely denied others. She, like, never got upset. She never raised her voice outside of this really soft, calm, almost, like, monotone. I want to insert a clip here, Mish. The audio is not as crisp as it could be, but I think it will give the listeners a really good understanding of what this dynamic was like. We were doing that fashion show backstage and you came up to me right when I was about to walk out and you said something. And it's so funny because it was so surreal at the time when you said it. I didn't think that you could actually say something like that. What did I say? You said uh, something like, you'll never be me, don't ever think that you'll be me and something like that. I said that? Yes. I can't think that's something, I'm not that, I'm very much in the, yeah, I'm very much... I know the person that I am, Mm -hmm. and I'm not someone to go and give myself away and say that to anybody. I've never said that in my life. So, but if that's what you remember, I accept that, but it doesn't sound like me to people that would know me. Now, I think the contrast between these two women was at its highest when Tyra said that modeling was one of the hardest times in her life, particularly because of the stuff that was going on with Naomi. And Naomi responded that while she loved her job, it's not that deep. Here's how it played out. That experience between you and I was one of the most difficult times in my entire life. In my entire life. See, for me, life. I can be really honest. I love modeling. I love this industry. It's given me a lot. It's shown me a lot. It's made me travel the world and meet amazing people. But with what I'm going through in my life in the last five or six years and what I've gone through of what I've come to know, in making my mistakes, in maturing with my family, with myself, with my um, relationships. It's not life-threatening and it's not that deep. Oh, you can definitely see how this feud went on for so long. These are just not, they're never going to be friends. These two women are never going to get along. They're like repelling magnets. Like it's just not going to (laughs) happen. And I think for many, it's like this unbothered attitude from Naomi Campbell that does sort of make it, it's understandable why people wanted to put her in this like icon pedestal despite her kind of like, I guess, attitude problems would be fair to say. Well, violence problems. Yes, but I mean in the context of this chat. Yes. It's one of those things where I don't know if this is going to come out in the right way, but the dynamic between these two, if they weren't real and this was maybe like a fictional television show, mm. it's incredibly good comedy. Yes. It's like very funny and like quite hilarious to watch because it's so bad. It's entertaining. It's incredibly entertaining. But then you realise that they are real. Like this is really real yeah. for Tyra. Anyway, not at all for Naomi and it becomes far more complicated. But I think if you're a fan of Naomi and you have kind of dehumanised her then you are going to put her up on that icon pedestal, despite the fact it's kind of mean what she's doing because you're going to say, how cool. Does that make sense? No, I think she, by acting like she's above it all, by acting like she couldn't possibly bother herself with the like menial, boring emotions of the average person, 
we all validate that pedestal. She's putting herself there. And so we all look at that and go, well, she is superhuman. She isn't like the rest of us. She doesn't have her feelings hurt by the random shit we do. Like she doesn't feel the way we do because she's nothing like us. Yeah, 100%. That's a really good point. Looking back on the episode in 2019, Jezebel's Hazel Sills wrote, Tyra Banks explains at the top of the episode that their rivalry was orchestrated by the press, endorsed by an industry that would only give black models one spot at a time in the top tier of supermodels. And while the press certainly did churn an arguably racist feud between the two models, Banks comes to the table more interested in walking through Campbell's alleged attacks which apparently weren't orchestrated by the press. Mm. So you do have two things going on here. This was a feud that was inflamed by the press, but it was also kind of real at the same time, according to Tyra. It doesn't sound like to me this was created by the press. Like the press spurred it on, but there was absolutely stuff going on behind closed doors between these two. The following year after that interview, so 2006, Naomi found herself in hot water once again when she was pictured wearing a t-shirt that read, Naomi hit me and I loved it. Now, this was a peculiar choice considering the seriousness of her previous assaults, particularly considering that she was soon to appear in court on more assault charges. Yes, it was a pretty chaotic move, for sure. And like a bit offbeat, I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Like completely offbeat. I can't imagine anyone genuinely being accused of assault this many times and putting a t-shirt on like this and it being okay. Really odd. It's just... It's weird, but it's also just off. Yeah. In January 2007, she pleaded guilty to assaulting her former housekeeper by throwing her BlackBerry mobile phone at her. She was sentenced to pay her former housekeeper's medical expenses, enroll in another anger management course and participate in five days of community service. After the sentencing, her lawyer gave a statement to the press saying, Naomi's been called a bigot. She's been called terrible things. There is an anger management problem. That doesn't mean she's not a nice person. It doesn't mean she's not a good person. It doesn't mean she's not a charitable person. Yeah. What I find fascinating about this time in Naomi Campbell's life, the fact she had to do community service to repent her assault sins, was the fact that she chose to wear catwalk ready fashion to and from community service here's a report from cbs news at the time the british supermodel sauntered out of the department of sanitation facility in manhattan just after 4 p.m making her exit seconds after a garbage truck rolled through the area the pavement and chain linked fence might as well have been a catwalk she strutted through in a bare-shouldered ankle-length shimmering gown and stiletto sandals then stepped into her silver rolls royce and sped away as neighborhood residents and paparazzi ogled zara we're gonna put these photos in our flashback gallery she's literally doing community service or at least leaving community service in a bejeweled sequined glimmering gown floor length gown (laughs) floor length it is catwalk ready gown (laughs) yeah yeah it's quite the juxtaposition hey now she recounted her five days of community service at the new york sanitation department for w magazine in jan 2007 in a feature titled the naomi diaries in the feature naomi described her emotions throughout the week and her decision to wear designer clothing for her service at the start of the feature she said 
What I wear walking into my community service has no connection to what I'm going to do when I get inside. This is how I dress and this is how I carry myself. <laughs> what do they expect me to do? Walk in looking all drip and drab? I have never looked drip and drab in my life. <laughs> just, I want to talk to you about this for a second. She's acting like she was just wearing a nice pair of jeans and like a, I know. a nice designer t-shirt. She's wearing a ball gown. Truly. <laughs> what? She just wears this all the time. She went on and said, this gentleman from the sanitation decided I had to be dropped off outside the gate so I would have to walk past the press. After I found out about this, I was in a car with my friends Norma and Stephen. And Norma said to Stephen, you should shoot this. So it became a piece of art. It became performance art. Truly. Yeah. And she, again, I think she's trying to tell the world, I'm above this. By being Naomi Campbell, I am above punishment and I will make this about me being a supermodel. Absolutely. And like, you would never do this, but that's the entire point. Like, I guess it's kind of a clunky, hard conversation to have because the allegations around, you know, her assaulting people are so horrendous, Mm. truly. Mm. And this is the punishment for that. But you have to respect in some way, even though this is the punishment for that, how she manages to take control of every scenario. I'm like, She's very good at PR. I just am like in so many minds about it. It's a confusing and hard story to tell. I'm not going to lie about that. Do you agree with me? Yeah, because, and I want to be really transparent with the listeners, the photos are iconic. Like these yeah. photos are so breathtakingly beautiful. She looks stunning leaving this facility. But at the same time, she has inflicted so much harm upon so many people and done awful things. I don't know how I feel because she's still doing the punishment. She's still going to the sanitation facility. It's the definition of like so many things can be true at the one time, I think, for me. Now, the Naomi Diaries also offered some fascinating insight into her state of mind at this point. As she wrote, she reflected on how she ended up in the the position that she was, saying, I started doing drugs and had no idea of the effect it would have on me. I'd been discovered at 14 and brought into the business at 15. There is no handbook to teach you how to deal with this business. Yeah, she went on, before long, I started taking drugs to escape or deal with some disaster, like when someone died. I lost a lot of friends in 97, and that was the year I really fell down emotionally. I first sought treatment for my addiction in 1999 and then went in and out of recovery. I'd be okay for a couple of years and think I had things under control, but then I would relapse. Some people can handle a drink or a line of cocaine, but I've finally come to realize that for me, it's all or nothing. And it has to be nothing. And my life has changed since. I'm not saying this to excuse what I did. I threw the phone and that was wrong. I'm guilty. I guess on one hand, it is refreshing that she owned it all. Like she was honest and self-aware, but on the other hand... This wasn't the end of her bad behaviour. Like if this yeah. is where the, you drew the line and said this is the new Naomi and she really was reformed and better, you'd be like, okay, on we go. People get other like people, second chances. People get help and yes. that's important. But spoiler alert, it kind of kept going. Over the years, it is also kind of interesting because Naomi continued to poke fun at her own temper. In 2007, she starred in a commercial for Dunkin' Donuts, which was directed by Zach Braff, of all people. The 30-second commercial showed her getting frustrated while gardening, breaking the heel of her shoe and throwing it through the window. Hmm. In June 2008, Naomi found herself in hot water once again. After pleading guilty to assaulting a police officer after her bags were lost at Heathrow Airport. 
According to the reports, Naomi, and I quote, hurled a torrent of abuse at the airline crew before, and I quote again, turning on three police officers who were called to defuse the situation. Now, apparently violence erupted when those three police officers tried to escort Naomi from the plane. One officer was spat on and struck in the arm with Naomi's phone, while another was struck in the thigh with, and I quote, her formidable platform boots with stiletto style heels. Naomi's lawyer said that she was genuinely apologetic for her actions towards the police officers, but not quite so sorry about British Airways. How does this keep happening? And how does she keep throwing her phone? It's like, for someone so clever at PR, she keeps doing this one very symbolic, very... It's like quite a... Visual thing. That is tied to her... Like, I know you shouldn't throw phones at people full stop, It's just weird to me that she continually does this. It's not all that surprising that the media started thinking of Naomi as the supermodel who throws phones at people. Yes, because it wasn't just one time. No. At all. The prosecutor later said in court that it all kicked off because Naomi Campbell was clearly upset because she was contracted to wear that particular Yves Saint Laurent outfit on a US chat show and it was in the bag that hadn't been loaded on the flight. I don't care. (laughs) Truly. She was sentenced to 200 hours of community service and ordered to pay £200 each to the police officers, £150 to the plane's captain, and fines totalling £2,300. At the sentencing, the judge said, while we accept that the loss of your suitcase would have been stressful, your subsequent behaviour cannot be justified. Mm. In 2009, Naomi was accused of assaulting a photographer in Sicily. Naomi and the photographer eventually settled this case outside of the court. The photographer withdrew his charges. However, an Italian prosecutor ordered the trial to go ahead because of the gravity of the charges against Naomi. She was later given a six-month suspended prison sentence for that assault. In the years since, Naomi has lamented to Elle magazine that she may never get away from the phone-throwing incidents. Even today, we still see headlines and questions from the media about these past assaults. Just last year, The Sun ran a story with the headline, How Naomi Campbell Went From Rehab and Chucking Phones to Supermum. In an interview with Oprah years later, she acknowledged various assault allegations and violent outbursts, saying she just sees red and regrets her actions immediately, saying, I feel remorseful, I feel ashamed, I feel for them. I think, what have I done to them if I've hurt them? Mm. In that same interview, she said she believed her issues went beyond anger management and that she's not some petulant diva, saying it comes from another type of emotional disorder because it's not just I don't get what I want, I throw. It comes from an abandonment issue. If I feel a mistrust, then all my cards go down. Mm. Naomi's mother, Valerie, backed up her thoughts about her abandonment issue, saying, I do feel I abandoned her. Looking back on that, you do sort of realise that material possessions are not the only thing a child needs. Sometimes that child needs its biological mother. Definitely a layered argument from Naomi Campbell. And I'm not a psychologist, so I can hardly sit here and say what is right or wrong. But the truth of the matter is she certainly had enough money and resources to get help. Yes, I think that is undeniable. Now, there's another court case that Naomi was involved in that we haven't touched upon yet. And it, again, is a bit of a layered one. In 2010, Naomi Campbell was called to testify in the war crimes trial of former Liberian dictator Charles Taylor. Now, yes, this is complex. Yes, it sounds like we're about to get really deep into politics. 
We promise you we will not. We will only tell you the things we think you need to know. Yeah, so it all started when Naomi was subpoenaed by the court to testify about allegedly receiving blood diamonds from Charles Taylor's aides. According to CNN, blood diamonds or conflict diamonds are illegally traded diamonds that are used to fund conflict in war-torn areas, particularly in Central and Western Africa. So it's a pretty complicated story to find yourself embroiled in. Apparently, prosecutors deemed Naomi Campbell's testimony crucial to the case in which Charles Taylor was accused and later found guilty of funding a civil war that affected hundreds of thousands of people by trading blood diamonds. Yeah, witnesses claimed that Naomi had boasted about receiving a packet of diamonds from Taylor's henchmen while on a trip to Nelson Mandela's house in South Africa. When Naomi did finally make her appearance in court, she admitted to receiving a pouch in the middle of the night from two men during her trip. During her testimony, Naomi said that pouch contained, and I quote, dirty looking pebbles. If someone hadn't said that they were diamonds, I wouldn't have guessed that they were diamonds. Now, fellow celebrity witness Mia Farrow disputed this, saying that Naomi did know what the stones were. I mean, it's an odd thing to visualize that you're in South Africa and two men are arriving in the middle of the night and handing you a pouch with dirty looking pebbles and you don't inquire as to what those pebbles are. Yeah. Now, she stood firm on the witness stand saying, I don't know anything about Charles Taylor. I've never heard of him before. I've never even heard of the country Liberia before. I'd never heard of the term blood diamonds before. She also said she'd never seen Charles Taylor again since they met at Nelson Mandela's dinner table the night before she received the pouch. After finding out, though, that the stones were diamonds at breakfast the next morning, Naomi said she passed them on to a friend called Jeremy Ratcliffe with the intention that they be donated to the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. Now, Jeremy Ratcliffe was the director of that children's fund at the time, so it made sense. Yes. However, according to ABC News in 2010, the Children's Fund had no records of any diamonds being received from Naomi Campbell although she did and had made significant financial contributions to the Children's Fund. Yeah, Jeremy Ratcliffe, again, the director of that fund, admitted he received three small uncut stones from Naomi Campbell and he kept them a secret, which would explain why the fund didn't have the records of them. I think we just wanted to include this, Zara, because when you look at Naomi's life, when you look at kind of articles that give a synopsis on the major events, Blood diamonds come up again and again and again. And we wanted to put it in here because we think you guys should know about it, first of all. And I think it's just a a really icky, murky thing to be involved with. Yeah, it's a pretty bizarre thing to see, you know, such a heavy and complicated trial be part of her story, like a a supermodel from Britain. It is completely random and that's why we wanted to include them. Now... Once the dust had settled on her Blood Diamonds testimony, her long-running feud with Tyra Banks became the topic of conversation. (laughs) Again, speaking on a Norwegian-Swedish talk show called Skavlan in 2016, Tyra confirmed that she was still very scared of Naomi. 
She said, I got to Paris and it was very difficult. I did very well, very fast. But then the industry was saying, look out, Naomi Campbell. Here comes Tyra Banks. Naomi Campbell, sit your butt down. This younger one is coming to take your place. Tyra continued, it was really unfair to her because the other models that weren't black, like Kate Moss came up, we were the same generation. They weren't saying, look out, Christy Turlington, you know, so they weren't saying that. So, you know, it wasn't fair to Naomi, but to this day, I'm very scared of her. I don't think that sit down together did much then, did it? In 2017, Naomi's new reality TV modelling competition show, The Face, was inevitably compared to America's Next Top Model, prompting Naomi to comment, I don't watch the other reality model shows. I'll never have anything to say. If you ask me about Tyra Banks, I'm proud of her as a woman of colour. She's given girls opportunity and God bless her. Naomi did appear to maybe retract that sentiment though because in November 2020, she shared a particularly spicy article from celebrity gossip website, The Things. She posted this on her Instagram stories. It was a screenshot of an article with the headline, here's why fans are starting to think Tyra Banks is the real mean girl, not Naomi Campbell. <laughs> oh my God, why is this still going? How old are they by this point? 2020. Like, why are we doing this? The article discussed some of the more problematic scenes in America's Next Top Model and how Tyra treated the contestants on the show, claiming that, and I quote, Naomi would never ask contestants to change their natural look, darken their skin for a photo shoot, or shame them for their personal life choices. All things Tyra, according to the article, did do. I mean, Tyra Banks is not perfect either, but... I don't think many of us are. No. So there are some, you know, valid criticisms of that show, but for Naomi Campbell to put this on Instagram. <laughs> it's so, so wild. I want to do a scandal series on Tyra Banks oh, one day. If you yeah. guys want that, then please come to us because I think that would be a fascinating one. Zara, this kind of brings us to where Naomi is now. I mean, to recap, between the years of 98 and 2009, she was accused of violent acts against employees, associates, and police officers 11 times. That's just what we know of publicly. She's been convicted of assault four times as well. So those are the ones there have been consequences for. As for where she is today, well, in May 2021, when she was 50 years old, she announced the birth of her daughter. And in February the following year, her and her daughter were featured on the cover of British Vogue. Speaking to the publication, she said, I can count on one hand the number of people who knew I was having her, but she is the biggest blessing I could ever imagine. It is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And by 2023, well, Naomi Campbell is still one of the most iconic and indeed the most powerful people in fashion. At 52 years old, she just walked the Chaparelli Haute Couture show at Paris Fashion Week alongside fellow supermodel Arena Shake. Last year, when Anna Winter was asked to name the supermodel with the best walk in history, she told Vogue it was a tie. Shalom Harlow or Naomi? Yeah. God, what a life. Oh, God. There's I, so much. Where do you even sit with it? I'm not even going to try and wrap it nicely because I think that I'm leaving with so many thoughts and I imagine our listeners are too. Yeah. Quite a complicated career. A complicated pers- person. Yeah, truly. Someone who 
did bad things but also had bad things done to her. Both of those yes. things were true. And achieved levels of success that like maybe we won't ever see again in the fashion world. She is the ultimate supermodel. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, that is all we've got time for. As Michelle mentioned, we will have some pretty nostalgic photos up on our Instagram gallery at Shameless Podcast. And if you want to support the show, you know what to do. Hit follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Thanks, guys. See you on Thursday. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.